Father, we thank you for even just the ways that being who we are as Christians out and about in the um, the culture, in the, the public setting, whatever that is, oh Lord God, that it gives us opportunities uh, if we're willing to take them to speak um, and to speak of who we are and uh, what we're doing, why we pray, uh, where we go to church, things like that, Lord God. And we just pray that um, we would be, um, there would be opportunities through that, that there would be um, people who don't know you or who are um, uh, straying, uh, Lord, that we would um, encounter and be able to point to the gospel, um, be, uh, be able to point to Christ and to the um, to. Uh, the, the glorious realities of who you are, what you've done through Christ, and how you're gathering a people for yourself. So, Lord, we pray for this morning as we embark on a new topic. Um, and, Lord, we embark on the greatest of all topics of knowing you. And so we just pray for grace. We pray for uh, mercy. We pray for help. Um, we pray that you would reveal yourself to us and illumine our minds and spirit that you would help us um, in illuminating our minds to see who you are from the scriptures. Uh, Lord, bless this morning, bless those who are still on the way, and uh, pray for your help in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, as we start a new topic today, um, the topic is, um, I've kind of said it's the doctrine of God, which is true, but I'd like to couch it in terms of knowing God, uh, and we'll talk more about that. So that's kind of the general heading that we're going to go under for the coming weeks, knowing God. We will talk about the doctrine of God, um, but it's not just doctrine to know facts. That's one of the highlights that we're, we're going to be talking about. Uh, I, I, got a, I, had a, um, I came across a, a really nice pithy phrase of how we think about doctrine in general uh, from a theologian called Kevin Van Hoosier. Anyway, um, here's how he puts it. Doctrine directs disciples to doxology. Nice and pithy. Doctrine directs disciples to doxology. Doxology is praise. And so that gives us the right connection between when we talk about doctrine, any doctrine, any teaching, doctrine just means teaching, any doctrine should direct disciples, followers of Jesus, to doxology. And I just kind of like how that was a nice, short, pithy way of putting it. In any case, that's what we want to do with this topic, topic of the doctrine of God uh, we want it to lead to doxology, of praise, of worship, of knowing God. So that's why we're putting it under uh, that, that heading. Now, um, uh, what I want to say before we go f any farther is uh, we're going to go through um, this systematically um, and in order. And the, basically the flow we're going to follow is we're going to talk about what it means to, to use that phrase. What does it mean to know God? Like, let's, let's get our bearings before we even talk about God's attributes or his character. What does that mean to know God? Uh, and then we're going to talk about how do we know God? How do we go about it? Um, if that's our goal, what do, how do we go about it? And then we'll get to the point where we kind of march through different attributes um, of God as the scriptures present them. So that's the general flow of how this topic is going to work. Now, um, Along with this, on Sunday mornings, you may want to read the book uh, by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. Uh, it is a wonderful book. Um, it has been in print for 50 years. And it is, it's not like one of those books that was printed and then you, you hear about it a little bit and then it goes away. Like this book is just consistently uh, referenced by a number of different people 
Um, it's, it's a good, good book. So uh, to that end, um, I ordered 15 copies of it, and uh, per the normal uh, deal, if you promise to read it, um, it within the next few months, you can have a copy. There's a stack of them on the communion table right there. It is really good. It is not just facts. It is devotional theology at its best. So um, really, really well done. So uh, I'm not going to follow uh, his pattern or his order. So it's not like we're going through the book by going through uh, the topic. But it is a good supplement to what we are talking about here. I highly recommend it. And like I said, if you want to read it, copy over the next few months and um, kind of do it as a supplement to this, it's yours. I highly recommend it. Okay, um, so as we already give you, gave you kind of the general flow, we want to start, before we even start talking about attributes of God or even how we go about knowing God, we just want to talk about what does it mean to know God. And even I would want to start with this question, and I probably, I mean, I've really already kind of given it away, but let's, let's, let's ask it anyway. How would you describe the ultimate goal of being a Christian? Like, what's it all about? Why do we do what we do? Yeah, to glorify God, but what does that mean? Yeah, Patricia. Okay, to be conformed to Christ's likeness. Okay. What's that? Okay, obedience to Christ. Good, yeah. Yeah, die to self, live for him. Okay. So all of these are good things. I would submit to you that the scriptures tell us that the design of our existence, and not just ours as Christians, but of people, is to know God. Now, you could probably you can describe that reality in other ways. So some of the things even you guys were mentioning is, you know, intersects with that for sure. But when you bring it all down to it, the goal of existence, the goal of human existence is to know God. Now, let me try to prove that to you um, from the scriptures, okay? Because um, uh, I can say that, but what does that mean? Uh, and do the scriptures really speak to that? Yes, they do. And uh, in fact, um, I didn't have time to walk through all of the scriptures and just highlight all of those phrases where God talks about knowing him. But just from your general Bible knowledge, um, and even as you're maybe reading through the scripture in a year plan, you're going to encounter that phrase, knowing God, a lot. So let me um, highlight a few of these for you. Go to Jeremiah. Go to Jeremiah. So Jeremiah is written right before Judah goes in. Well, he's kind of the last phase and wave of exile is basically when Jeremiah is written. So 586-ish and a little bit before, but um, B.C., that is. Uh, so turn to Jeremiah 9.23. And someone read Jeremiah 9.23. Through 26. I'm sorry, through 24. 923. Uh, actually, 923 through 26. I was right. I shouldn't second guess myself, I guess. Um, 923 through 26. Oh. 
Okay, so what do you notice in here? Um, yeah, what do you see? And what do you see in relation to knowing God? Right, and boasting is not always a bad thing. That's the thing, is that if you're boasting in... And what does it mean to boast? What does it mean to boast? Yeah, lift up, talk about... Um, you, praise. Praise. Um, usually when we talk about boasting, you're boasting in yourself, right? Are you boasting in yourself in this? Look at it carefully. What is? Yeah, to a degree you are, right? Because what are you boasting about? That you know God, right? So it's don't boast in that you have wisdom. Don't boast that you have might. But if but boast, what do you boast? What's your glory? What are you glorying in? You're glorying in knowing and understanding God. I know God. Uh, and I know the true and the living God. I know and I understand him. That's the force of what he's saying there. It's right and it's good. Uh, we boast in the things that are most important to us. And what is God saying? Don't boast in these things. Boast in knowing me. But there's another dimension to this. This is why I had us read through 926. What is it connected with in this passage? So you're supposed to boast in knowing and understanding God, but what's it connected with? Circumcision of the heart, which uh, I would argue is another way of referring to what we would call regeneration, right? That um, there is a a callousness to the heart. We're actually going to talk about that reality in part of the sermon today. And, um, and the, the, this Deuteron- it's language from Deuteronomy. The heart needs to be um, circumcised. Uh, but to what end? To the end here of knowing God. Of knowing God. And not just knowing God and understanding God, but boasting in God. Boasting that I know God. That is what um, God tells us we ought to be doing. Okay? Now, um, Turn, still in Jeremiah, turn over to Jeremiah 31. And you know where I'm going. Where am I going in Jeremiah 31? The the gospel, well, yes, but even more specifically. New covenant. covenant. We're going to the new covenant, right? Um, We are new covenant people. uh, The new covenant is defined, not given, but defined um, in the Old Testament. Um, and so the go-to text, there's other places as well, but the go-to text is Jeremiah 31, 31, 34. So someone go ahead and read that. Okay, so what does the new covenant talk about? What's that? Yeah, and what specifically is it addressing about knowing God here? What are the what are the things does it say in relation to that? Yes, it says. Uh, 
Sure, yeah. So there's that reality that, um, and this connects with what we were already seeing in Jeremiah 9, right? That the nation of Israel and the new covenant is given first and foremost to the nation of Israel. We are included in it through Christ, but it is um, given to the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel has an uncircumcised heart. So what's God going to do? Well, he's going to circumcise the heart of the nation such that uh, in Old Testament Israel, in Old Covenant Israel, you, you have some people who have a circumcised heart, very few, and you have some people, um, a majority of people, I would argue, that don't. And so what do you do in that scenario? Well, you've got an Israelite who does have a circumcised heart talking to another Israelite who doesn't, and what is their appeal? Their appeal is, know the Lord. Um, and God's saying, well, the new covenant's not going to be like that. Everyone's going to know the Lord such that that is unnecessary. Um, again, the, uh, it's connected with uh, the forgiveness of sins, but forgiveness of sins is not an end in of itself. Forgiveness of sins is for the purpose of being able to know God. Um, that is what the new covenant is about. Uh, is being able to know God. So back to our original question, what's the ultimate end and goal of Christianity, which is the new covenant being given in Christ? It is knowing God. Knowing God. Okay, now we still need to define, well, what does he mean by that? But all I'm trying to show you is that the scriptures support the the goal, the end of Christianity is knowing God. Um, we can see this in the New Testament as well. Uh, go to Matthew 11. And again, it would be interesting. I would like to do this. I didn't have time to do it this week, but to just march through the scriptures and look at every phrase of when it talks about knowing God. But it's a big theme throughout all of the scriptures, so I'm just picking out a few highlights. Uh, Matthew 11:27. 27. Uh, we could back up to 25. Uh, go ahead, someone go ahead and read Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 28. Through tw- uh, oh, I did say through 28. Uh, yeah, go ahead and read through 30 if you wouldn't mind, Julie. Okay, what is Jesus saying? There's lots there, so you can pick out just one aspect. Yeah, um, so what, what does Jesus call? His call is to come to me, and I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to give you rest. But, like, the purpose of that is, comes a couple verses ahead when he's just talk, Jesus is just talking with the Father. And he's saying, no one knows the, um, the Father except the Son. No one knows the um, uh, Son except the Father. Um, and so there's this question. We addressed it when we went through this passage in um, the main service. Like, well, so how do you break into this? Like, how do you, there's this inter-Trinitarian knowledge that is happening between the persons, 
But how do you break into that? Well, the only way is if the Son does what? Reveals the Father so that you might what? Know him. Knowing him, knowing God is the goal uh, in all of this. Uh, and it's connected with, you know, even Jesus talking about giving rest and those sorts of things, right? So again, the idea of knowing God uh, being the goal of Christianity. Is this making sense? Questions up to this point? Okay, there's more. Uh, if you want to even more bluntly, go to John. Go to John 17. Jesus is right about to go to the cross. He's had this dialogue between uh, him and his disciples um, since chapter 13. And then he utters a prayer to the Father in uh, John 17. Uh, someone read John 17, 1 through 3. What is eternal life, according to Jesus? Knowing God and Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. So if we were to say the goal of, you know, all that Jesus has done is eternal life, well, what is that eternal life? Not living forever, per se. I mean, it includes that. Uh, but everyone's going to live forever. We know that. Some are going to live in everlasting torment forever. But the substance, the quality of eternal life is what? Knowing God. Knowing God and Jesus Christ. You can't get any more clearer than that. So the goal of the Christian life, the goal of Christianity, the goal of human existence is to know God. Um, what questions does that bring up in your mind? Or comments? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, so there's that idea of, you know, that's the goal, and in, in ultimately for someone we're sharing the gospel with is for them to know God, and then you have to know how. So we're going to talk about that, of course. And we ultimately know that, yeah, through the gospel, you come to know God. But what other questions does it raise? Just even that idea of, like, okay, the goal of all existence, the goal of Christianity is knowing God. It's just not a way we normally talk about it, I don't think. No, no. What do you mean by that, Ashley? Right. So sometimes we can present a gospel where it's man-centered, You've got this, you have this problem with a holy God, not true, right? You have this problem. God's going to judge you. So how do you get out of that problem? You get out of that problem by trusting Jesus, and then you're out of that problem, and you're going to live forever. True? Yes. But man-centered in a lot of ways, isn't it? 
It's about how do you, the gospel becomes focused on problem solution rather than what? What is the end of existence? To know God. Uh, this is eternal life, that they know God. Um, and so what do you got to start with? You got to start with who is God and why would you even want to know him? Uh, and then, yeah, all of those things about Jesus' death and resurrection uh, are true, but it, it comes to this goal of knowing God. Uh, what else, other questions might we want to raise about that Well, uh, yeah, that's going to be included in it. Is obedience, yeah, so maybe the question to put to that is, like, how is obedience intertwined with that idea of knowing God? Because there's a place for it, but what else? What else could we ask? If the end of existence is to know God, what else might we want to talk about? Okay, only true God, yeah. Here's my question. What in the world does it mean? To know God, right? Um, because there's different ways the scriptures, um, let alone just generally how we use the word know, we use that word very differently, don't we? And the scriptures use that word in very different contexts, even in the relation to knowing God. Here's a question. Can, do all people know God? So I'm seeing one head's doing this, and I'm seeing other heads doing this. So, what, um, so you know, what, um, how do we... What's that? Right, so that's my point, is that there are ways that Scripture does talk about how all people do know God. So wait a minute, if all people know God, then why are we talking about the end of existence being knowing God? Yeah, Emily. Well, and even... Can you guys think of a, a passage where it talks about how everyone knows God? Yeah, Romans, right? So go to Romans 1. So what, we're, what I'm trying to show you is the Bible talks about the end of existence is knowing God, but then there's these other ways in which it talks about knowing God. So we got to get a handle on this notion of what exactly does that mean. Um, so Romans 1, just... Kind of the opposite end of the knowing God spectrum. Romans 1, 18 through uh, 23. Someone read that. Okay, so what does that passage have to say? It says a lot of things, but what does it have to say about knowing God? Okay, so yeah, they the can't deny his existence, but what does it say specifically about knowing God? What, what, what does it say? 
Okay, so does that say they just knew about God? No, it says they knew God, right? So they know about God from the creation, but they, it says they know God, but, key qualification, right, they don't honor him as God. So there's a sort of knowledge that every human being has of God. Um, they know God, but uh, it's not the right sort of knowledge, evidently, that, say, the New Covenant talks about, right? So again, uh, and you guys have already pegged it, uh, at the end of human existence is to know God, but some people know God wrongly, and some people know God rightly. So what does it mean when we talk about uh, what the scriptures are aiming for when Jesus says that eternal life is knowing God, what are we going to? So let's just start here. What are the different ways that we can use the word know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we have to go back to how does God define truth and how does God define know knowing him? Like what we have to go back to how God defines knowing him, even from a, how we use human language, which God uses to reveal himself in the scriptures as well. How does the word know get used or knowing? Okay. Okay. Okay, good. Good. So there you've, you've hit two ways, at least, how we use the word know. We use the word know or knowing to refer to, I'll call it the notional sense, knowing facts, right? Uh, notional knowledge is knowing stuff, knowing data, knowing facts. But then you also highlighted another way we talk about knowing someone, relationship, relationship, right? Uh, knowing a person, knowing a person, uh, and coupled with that intimacy. Uh, in uh, Genesis 4.1, it talks about how Adam knew his wife. Now, it's no accident that that word know is used. We know, we understand what that's referring to. But there is that sense of inti relational intimacy that is happening with that word no. Okay? Um, okay, so those are, um, that's a good distinction. We need that distinction. So we've got a notional knowledge of knowing, knowing facts, and we've got a relational no uh, sense of knowing, knowing a person or intimacy. Okay? Now, here's the question. In Romans 1, um, well, I would argue both the notional and the relational are being used of unbelievers, aren't they? They definitely know facts about God, right? Uh, they know through the creation that God exists, his eternal power, his divine nature. They know stuff about God. But then it says they know God. They know a person. There's a relationship there. The unbeliever has a relationship with God, don't they? What's missing? Oh, yeah, Bruce. Okay, okay, good. Is there more you wanted to say with that? Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. So you, you're, you've got it, right? So that, that knowledge, 
The problem with their knowledge, they have a relational knowledge, but it's, uh, it's a knowledge that is not leading them in the right direction. They're not glorifying God as they ought to. So there, I would argue, we've got a third uh, understanding of how knowledge we use knowledge. Knowledge should change your affections, your disposition uh, to do what? To act appropriately. So uh, there's a couple other senses in which we could talk about knowledge. Knowledge as changing the affections. So I take in notions about God, and I might have a relationship with God, but I could have a wrong relationship with God. What needs to happen? My affections need to change. I, my affectional knowledge needs to change so that my disposition changes to do what? To act on it. Actional knowledge. Knowledge as skill. We understand that. Knowledge as skill. Uh, when I talk about uh, I know how to change a tire, I'm talking about knowledge as a skill. I know how, I, I, yeah, I can tell you the facts about how to change a tire, but when I actually do it with my hands, that's actional knowledge, isn't it? Um, so I would argue, at least, and there's probably more nuances we could talk about, but these four cover a great deal of ground. You can have notional knowledge, you can know facts. You can have relational knowledge, you can know a person and inti have intimacy or enmity, as the case may be, with that person. Uh, but you can have affectional knowledge, knowledge um, really that changes your disposition, um, and, and that's kind of highlighting the effective knowledge, I suppose. But, and then four, you can have actional knowledge, knowledge of how to do a skill, okay? You with me on this? Does this make sense? Yeah, Susan. Um, A-F-F-E-C-T-I-O-N-A-L, affectional. Like my affections. And by affections, I don't just mean emotions, but I don't mean less than emotions. Okay? Um, the affections are not just me having an emotional response, but my whole disposition uh, as a person. Uh, so, yeah, it includes my emotions. But uh, knowledge, um, and as, as we work through the scriptures, the knowledge of God, the notional knowledge that we have about God is supposed to change your affections, your dispositions, so that you act on it uh, in a right way. Uh, yes, absolutely, right? So that's where Gary's tying in with the, the obedience aspect of it um, is, is a response of uh, right knowledge. How do you know God with skill? Well, you would call that obedience and living your life life wisely before a holy God, right? But all of these notions of knowing, right, uh, give us a handle on how to approach this aspect of how do we know God, right? Um, questions? Uh, yeah, Genevieve. Yes. Okay. We can say, well, she knows God. She has a notional knowledge of God. She may be the first to go to church. Right. But she's stopping at the relational. Right. Does she have a relationship with God, according to Scripture? Yes, and she has a, I turned away now. I yes. Yes. Right. Yeah, so her dispositions are wrong, right? She knows God. She does have a relationship with God, but it's one of enmity. Right. She, she's actually turned away from God. 
Right. Right, right. Okay. Yeah. 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 Right. Well, um, so that's the other that's the other side of this coin that we need to talk about. So uh, I'm going to take us to another passage that I think will help address part of what you're talking about and fill out this what we're talking about even more. Go to uh, Galatians four, and if I if I get too far afield without coming back to your question, Genevieve, remind me because I want to I want to make sure we hit it. So. Um, Go to Galatians 4, and I'm going to read um, verses 1. Uh, oh, uh, it's like, that's odd. I was in 2 Corinthians. Um, Galatians 4, 1 through 9, okay? I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is set under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Now, catch this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? What's the added element in this section to what we've been talking about? Reciprocation. reciprocation. And in fact, not just reciprocation, but priority. Who knows first? God does, right? So God knows relationally and, what, you know, we can just use the language in a saving way first, which then prompts our knowing of him. So... Um, when we see, so this is, that's God's perspective, right? Only God knows whom he knows, um, only God knows who, in an ultimate, final, true sense, only God knows who are his, right? I can't know that. So then we get back to a, a case, and we've been talking about it in Matthew, right? We got a case where a brother or sister, at least in name and by evidence that we've seen in the past, they're going astray, well, there's one of two things that have happened. They don't actually, aren't actually known by God and don't know God in a, uh, a saving sort of a way. Or they do, uh, but their current direction, their current uh, affectional knowledge, their current actional knowledge isn't, isn't aligned uh, the way it ought to be. Right? Which, if you think about it, uh, think about the Christian life in general, the general. Do we know God as we ought to know him? No. In what senses do we fail to know God as we ought to, to know him? Probably every way, right? So go down the line. So uh, do we know all of the facts about God that we ought to know? No. Uh, that's notional knowledge, right? Uh, do 
is our relationship with, well, now let's think about relationship, right? Is our relational knowledge of God, do we have a relationship with, and I'm, I'm emphasizing a good relationship with God, is that secure? Do we know God, if we are in Christ, do we know God in that way as we ought? Yes, that is secure. That is secure knowledge because God knew us and now we know Christ. That is at least secure knowledge, right? Is our affectional knowledge the way it ought to be? That our dispositions um, towards God and towards Christ are the way they ought to be? Absolutely not. We understand that. Um, are our actional knowledge uh, aligned? No, we understand that. So what does God do? He brings us farther into the process of all of this uh, way of knowing God. Right? Which is why we're doing what we're doing here. Uh, what we're going to be doing right, is gathering some more notional knowledge, but not just for the sake of the notions, so the sake of our affections being changed so that we act rightly. Right? Um, so all of the, these, uh, uh, we're, we're growing in knowledge. So even we see a brother or sister straying, right? We've talked about in Matthew, we're supposed to go after that person because we want them to know God because that's their greatest good. We have God as our greatest good. We want them not to stray into sin because they're disregarding God as their greatest good. We want them to know God rightly. And that's a team effort, right? That's where the church comes in, that we are all striving to know God better. So we're helping one another, correcting one another to come back to, uh, you know, uh, to, to following the Lord. Now, let's think about the ultimate stage of where God wants to take humans in knowing him, okay? Probably the best way to think about this is to compare the bookends of the Bible, okay? What did knowing God look like in the garden? Yeah, so relational knowledge, knowledge, uh, Notional knowledge, although even that wasn't, um, you know, wasn't complete there, um, right? But there's relational knowledge, the affections of people. Um, there's intimacy. There's closeness. Because how do you know God in the garden? You walk with him. In other words, it's a face-to-face -face intimacy, right? There's a face-to-face. -face, there's a presence. There's a closeness and presence and intimacy a face-to-face -face knowledge. Uh, before the fall, the actions uh, are aligned. The affections are aligned. It's all aligned, right? But it's that closeness, that intimacy. Actions are there, right? They're supposed to rule, have dominion over the earth as God's stewards, all of that. Okay, fast forward and get to the other end of the bookend. What are you at in Revelation 21 and 22? Back to face-to-face, -face, right? Back to face to face. In fact, it says that in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. It says they shall see his face. Uh, it's relational. Revelation 21, they shall, uh, I shall be his God and they shall be my sons. Did you notice in Galatians how it talked about redemption in terms of being a son, establishing that, that relational closeness and intimacy? So all of it comes together. Now we're in the middle, right? We're, in the, uh, we're between the bookends. So... Um, how do we know God uh, right now? Uh, we know him relationally in Christ. We have that relationship as a son. We know him notionally. We do know facts about him. We need to know more. Uh, we already have said our affections aren't where they ought to be, but they're growing. 
And same thing with our actions, right? And all of these components of knowing God, okay? Here's the other thing. I know God through Christ. That relationship is secure. Do I know God the way I'm designed to know him? No. What am I missing? Growth, but even, we've already kind of mentioned it with the garden and with the New Jerusalem, face-to-face, right? It's not face-to-face yet. Um, In fact, go to 1 Corinthians 13. Um, Someone read verses 8 through 13. What do you see? Yeah, the process. So when he's talking about knowledge passing away, he's talking about a, a revelatory knowledge like that happens through prophecy. Like that's going to go away, right? But knowledge in the sense of we're talking about in that full and final sense doesn't go away. It gets perfected in the face-to-face viewing, knowing, relational walking with God in the perfect, the new Jerusalem, right? The, the end of everything. And obviously you see this is intertwined with love, right? Um, and that's where we get the affectional side of it. This knowledge is not supposed to just sit in your head, right? It's supposed to change your affections so that you respond to God in love, right? Yeah, Susan. Exactly. We are still in a situation of faith and hope, but faith and hope are not ultimate. They'll go away um, because I'm going to know God face to face. There's no, there's no breach um, at all. There's no distance. There's no barriers to knowing God um, uh, in the, the way we were designed to know him. Um, and so you see how all this comes together, right? So to answer our question, what does it mean? When we say, we, we can see the scriptures say that our goal is to know God, but what is the, if we were to try to define what does that mean, here's my best stab at a definition. Knowing God as God has designed us to know him means having a peaceful and intimate relationship with him through his initiative that's that being known by God peace, in which we increasingly know more about him, that's our notional sense, such that our affections are changed by this knowledge such that we respond to him properly. Right? So you see the chain, right? We're to have that relational knowledge, but a peaceful one, a one of not enmity, but peace, of joy, of intimate relationship, 
that's by his initiative being known by God first. He has to do the knowing first. Uh, in which we increasingly know more about him, notional. We need to know facts about God. You can't know God without knowing facts about him. But not so that you just stop there, but so that your affections are changed so that you what? Respond rightly. Like all of that is what is encapsulated in that little phrase, knowing God. The goal of Christianity is to know God. Uh, you know him in relationship, in intimacy, in peace, because he took the initiative of knowing you uh, so that you increasingly know more about him, so that your affections are aligned with that, so that you respond rightly in uh, worship and in action. Um, that's, that's what knowing God means. And that's our goal. And that's where we're headed in this topic, right, is to delve into those different aspects. How do we do that? How do we grow in that? What is there to know about God? And we want to um, strive towards that in this topic. Any questions as we close? Yeah. Uh, whether they say they're atheists or whatever. Right. So is that between Yes. Well, that's that's where I think Romans one, I mean, all we can go by is what Romans one says is they have no excuse. So they have all the facts they need. It's never a knowledge it's never a notional problem, we can put it that way. It's an affection problem, isn't it? Yeah, and that's what he says. Claiming to be wise, you became fools, right? You suppressed. You suppressed the knowledge of God. They have a relationship with God, but it's one of enmity. Um, and they may kid themselves, deceive themselves, um, bury it deep. But, you know, it's kind of the, the, the quip, there's no atheists in foxholes, right? Um, that's when, when crises come, usually that's when the reality comes out you know there's a God. Um, you may not know all of the facts about him even. Like that doesn't, what Paul says is you know his eternal power and divine nature. It doesn't necessarily mean you can know him in a saving way. You need more information. You need the gospel. But you do have, you do know God, uh, but not in a saving way. You don't have a relationship of peace. You have a relationship of enmity. So, yeah, yeah good question. Okay, let's pray. God, we want to know you. Uh, that is our desire. That is the hunger of our souls, oh Lord God. So um, what we do this morning, even in the gathering that is coming, is oriented around this. Lord, as we sing, we want our affections aligned with what we know to be true of you. And we are trying to respond in worship to you. Lord, give us strength to do that. As we pray as a corporate body, we are... We have a relationship with you. We are talking with you. And we believe that you hear us. We, we are responding to what we know of you and, and hearing our prayers and answering them. Lord, as we hear the scriptures, we, uh, we want to understand them because that is you speaking to us. And it's declaring who you are and what you would, how you would have us live in relationship to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to know you and help us as we go through this topic to to um, give our hearts hunger, 
give our hearts hunger to know you, to strive, to work hard, to labor over meditating, and not just over meditation, but as we meditate, as we see more of you, we love you, we respond to you, we act on that knowledge, oh Lord God. We ask for your grace in all of this, because we can't do any of this except that you have known us first. And we thank you and we praise you that you have known us from the foundation, before the foundation of the world, and we have experienced knowing you through Christ. We praise you and we love you in Christ's name. Amen.